Hello, babies. It's Monday, May 1st. It's Chapo. Let's go. Happy, happy May Day to everyone. It's the holiday that uh, we're working on. So I hope you're, uh, I hope, I hope you're being a lazy, uh, money-grubbing socialist while we're working hard to give you a podcast on today, the socialist holiday. Um, but I'd like to start today's episode by uh, giving, giving the flowers to, as the kids say, Matt and Chris congratulating them on their wonderful run of hell on earth uh i would say the best history podcast of all time but seriously guys, you, guys, you guys knocked it out of the park amazing amazing work on hell on earth i really enjoyed the whole series and uh charles austin's um uh we didn't start the fire 17th century edition which was fantastic yes thank you to uh catherine for having that idea because it ended up being pretty good it was a great way to put a cap on a uh, otherwise also a great series so thanks everybody for listening uh matt and chris will return for more history podcasting uh in the future absolutely all right well i mean we got we got to let's, let's start let's start this week talking about a historical an upcoming historical event that's sure to be remembered in the annals of recorded history. The whole world has coronation fever. That's right. On May 6th, uh, Prince Charles becomes King Charles. And I don't know about you guys, but I've been uh, obsessed with all of the details about the bizarre crown jewels that are all part of this, this wacky little pageant that all like uh, Felix, they, they all sound like covenant technology. Like they all sound like something the arbiter has to like unearth yeah. in the ring world. Yeah. Um, there, there are like seven swords. Um, they're all they're all being assigned to people who, uh, you know, are lords or dukes or or ladies. Uh, the sword of temporal justice, which definitely sounds like something the arbiter uses. A time sword. It cuts time, through time. Sword. Well, we know where they got that idea. Yeah, indeed. Once again, Luke Jeffrey being ripped off. Uh, so yeah, actually, I I found in the the Telegraph, uh, I have I have a full list of all of the um, uh, King Charles III's coronation regalia, and it says here at the heart of ki- the king's coronation will be ancient and invaluable jewel encrusted regalia from swords to crowns, much of which has been used for more than a thousand years, and I just like to uh, go through them with you guys right now, and I would like us to, all right, there are. There are are four different sort of categories of regalia, each with their own powers and ceremony associated with them. But I'd like us to go through all this regalia, and I just want to like choose one from each category to be your loadout for like your starting character. You know, you're going to start this campaign. You know, like uh, what what kind of build are you guys running on this King Charles the Third coronation? Beginning with the procession, which includes the mace. You guys remember the mace, of course. Yeah, classic. Great, uh, great mall style weapon. Yeah, it's a, it's a blunt. It, got, it does blunt damage. Uh, then we got the, then we got uh, the sword of spiritual justice. I think that you know, if you're running a faith build, you, you'd be you'd be hard pressed to find a better weapon. Yeah, that's a good one for clerics. Yeah, uh, the Saint Edward staff. You know, that's sort of uh, you know intelligent magic based build. Uh, the sword of mercy, the sword of temporal justice, and the sword of state. You know, uh, I think sort of mercy, more of a more of a dex build, uh, sort of temporal justice, maybe a dex strength hybrid, and then sort of state, probably just pretty much straight up strength. Um, then for the anointing, there are two very important uh, items. There's the ampulla, which is like a golden, looks like a golden goose of some kind. It literally looks like a golden uh, bird, of, a duck of some kind. And then the coronation spoon, which looks like a butt plug. I don't know what either of those are used for. So it's it's like sword 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 spoon. <laughs> well, no, okay, okay. Like the the person these are the these are the like your right handed weapon are going to be the mace to the sword of state, and then the in the anointing ceremony there's the ampulla and coronation spoon, which are like I don't know, like uh, provide buffs for your character or some kind. Well, usually an item, an item like a, a spoon that you can't equip as a weapon. Usually that's like it's part of a quest or you use it to you, you have to use it to get into some other part of the map. So we might see that later on. I know that, uh, um, King Charles has said he has a 10 year plan. Uh, he's going to be King for 10 years and then step down. And then it's, it's William time, you know, it's William and Kate's time. So presumably he, I don't know, maybe he'll use that to, uh, kill himself. I don't know. (laughs) 
then, then there is the investiture part of the ceremony, which comes after the anointing. And uh, some of the items that you'll encounter in the investiture part of the map include spurs, another sword. This time it's the jeweled sword of offering. Then you've got armils, which look like um, sort of gold uh, sort of cuffs or bracelets of some kind. Then just the classic orb. You know, you can't have any oh, you love an orb without an orb. Uh, then you've got the sovereign's ring and the sovereign's scepter with cross and scepter with dove. Now, that's one item. That may sound like two items, but you get with the sovereign scepter, you get both a cross and a scepter with a dove. So, uh, so I think they're going to have to nerf that one in the next patch. That seems a little <laughs> overpowered. Do they do they all make this from Elizabeth's soul? They transposed it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because I, I didn't hear about any of this stuff before. You know, presumably they made it from her. Uh, and then finally, the the crowning part of the ceremony, there will be the Saint Edward's crown, the Queen Consort's ring, the Queen Mary's crown, the Imperial State crown. And the queen, the queen's consort's scepter with cross and rod with dove. Again, that's one item. I don't know what's going on here. It's it's, like it's so fu- it's so funny how you know they do all this, and then the only other time we see them use the sword is when they give like uh, they're like Elton John, you're a knight now. Yeah, yeah, that's all you could do with the sword as a monarch at this point is is dub dub people shit. That's it. All right, so I, I guess for me. Like you know, my build here, I think uh, I think I'm I think I'm going with the uh, the sword of mercy. I'm gonna Let's, I'm gonna buff that. I'm gonna see. buff that the the coronation. Well, it's 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 called the sword of mercy, Matt. But it's meant to be ironic. I mean, this is oh, okay. this this was used by the execution lord. Ah, I see. It's like you know, the king's mercy mercy is a swift death, not not a long painful one. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Not get burned at the stake or something. Uh huh. So yeah, I'm, I'm gonna buff that with the coronation spoon. Um, and then I'm gonna. Obviously, got to take the orb. You know that that gives you plus five oh, stats across the board, and uh, then I'm going with the uh, imperial state crown just for fashion, just to stunt on hose. <laughs> yeah. What, what what I'm doing is, you know, I look at all the these are all legendary weapons and they seem nice, but what I'm actually doing is I'm going I'm going to a um it's a um hidden wall. I hack at a hidden wall in Buckingham <laughs> Palace. Because it's it's um it's in a hallway and there's one part of the hallway that doesn't have a painting on it and that's the hidden wall and I I press R one I go through that and it leads me to a very special thing a very special hidden part of the map Disraeli's tomb and why do I want to go to Disraeli's tomb because I go there I go there and I do the gesture Judaic wave and it's. <laughs> It sends me to fight Benjamin Disraeli in the past. <laughs> and this is one of the harder fights that you can have. You can see why a lot of people haven't done it. But after I do, after I'm able to sort of DPS Benjamin Disraeli and avoid a lot of his lightning attacks, I'm able to get <laughs> Benjamin Disraeli's soul. And I could, I could transfuse that into Disraeli's staff, which is the most powerful magic catalyst in the entire That's kingdom. excellent. Yeah. No, it- if you're a caster like me, yeah, that's what you want. No, but like what I like about the coronation is that you can run like a caster build, a strength build, a cleric build. It's, it's very versatile. That's what there's all these different swords. I mean, the question is, what kind of build will King Charles III be running for Great Britain? Yeah, you know, will he will he um, surprise everyone? Will he have a, a secret item like uh, Anthony Eden's lipstick? <laughs> <laughs> Uh. <laughs> hmm. I mean, so if I'm doing this, do I have? Am I King Charles or am I me? Because if I'm King Charles, I need something in my rucksack, my bag of holding, that will do something about my fingers. Because if I don't do something about those horrifying blood plantains that he has on the end of his hands, I don't think I'm going to be able to wield a sword, or certainly not wear a ring. Unless it's the size of a fucking uh, like Holston's onion ring, because if you've seen, uh, and he doesn't show them anymore in uh, in public p- images, uh, King Charles's fingers are terrifying. But Matt, you don't understand. I mean, Matt, you haven't you haven't played the coronation game long enough. Uh, King Charles's disgusting curled fingers are how you summon um, other players to to join you in a boss arena. Mm. Well, I uh, I definitely want the sort of temporal justice. That's the coolest yeah. one. 
You can do time shit. You can be a time cop or a time lord. I don't know how you can say no to something like that. Uh, give me the ampule, the, the yeah. goose-shaped ampule. I bet there's something fun that comes out of there if you rub it or something. Uh, and then I'll take, uh, yeah, I'll take, I'll take the ring because, as I said, it must be gigantic. Sovereign's ring, yeah. The sovereign's ring. Give me that. Yeah, yeah. and I guess I mean, that would be. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know builds. I don't know what you're talking about. You tell me what that build is. <laughs> you're, it, uh, I, 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 I think you're running a, like a strength build, Matt. Um, but, you know, the, like, the, these are all very good items, I want to say. They're rare items. And, you know, some of them are a thousand years old. I, I also saw like they were like the stone of destiny has uh, has reached the capital. And it was just like. Can you knock it off with this shit? This is embarrassing for everyone. You can involved. you can tell that none of these are actually imported because the IRA never tried to like blow any of these up or take them. <laughs> actually, this I is how read- you know they're running a fucking game on us because it's like at no point like the IRA, you know, they put bombs all over fucking London. At no point were they ever like, oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna put a bomb to the London Stock Exchange and we're gonna take we're yeah we're gonna take the Galaxy Sword or whatever the fuck you have. <laughs> I did read about the Stone of Destiny that Scottish nationalists took it in the 1950s or something. Oh, they stole the it. Scottish nationalists are the biggest fucking bullshitters <laughs> yeah, they no. are. Yeah, that's yeah. like that they, shows that yeah. they're not really serious about this bullshit. That they're instead of kidnapping the goddamn prince, they're kidnapping his. Well, we stone. got your we got your rock. Well, all all, all British monarchs have been have been, have been anointed on the Stone of Destiny. Is that true? All of them? I, well, I don't know. I mean, for for a while now, for a while now. You know? Because the thing is. Most of these August rituals that people now paint to, so, so painstakingly uh, create that they claim that they're coming from this ancient lineage, but almost all of our traditions were invented in the 19th century. Like all of the yeah. stuff that we take as like uh, eternal features of our uh, ritualized politics, we're all made up by Victorian imperial perverts, and that and all to keep their power and uh, uh, like culturally. Uh, uh, validated and that's the point of it it's not that old i bet most of that shit's from fucking uh uh pound land is that the name they got over there not, yeah it's not dollar general it's pound land <laughs> pound town <laughs> yes. yes uh well, yeah, yeah yeah i mean like yeah most most things we assign as being super old are like at most like 300 years old I, I like all all the stuff with America. America is like a fake old country. It's why we have a Senate. Yeah, you know the fucking all the, the, all, the, the all the weebs all the weebs who founded this country were like, ooh, let's have Roman columns. Yeah, the the fucking the uh, the Windsors are a fake English uh, dynasty. They're fucking Krauts. Yeah, they're literally a bunch of Germans, German, a bunch of German tourists who like want to sweepstakes. They literally. They, they 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 couldn't the the, uh, the the Stuarts couldn't stop popping out Catholics and then they bring in uh, uh they literally had to like start looking for German cousins to find the the, the most closely related Protestant they plucked some rube off of a dunghill in Hanover and said hey you want to be king of England he's like yeah that's that's good ah, we'll go for it I mean yeah there's really like nothing that's actually thousands of years old. Outside of China, because there is a continuance right. from Continuous. the government from yeah. the government from the government shown in the movie Hero to mm-hmm. Xi Jinping. Yeah, that's, that's the true. only one. That's mm-hmm. the only one. But everything else is like 200, 300 years old. Hasidic Jews. They're like yeah, these are true. these are ancient traditions. They stretch back a uh, hundred and forty years. It's true. Like, like yeah, the, the outfits they wear are literally suits and ties. Like what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. That was <laughs> no. That was not in Ju- Judea or Samaria. No, there were no wasn't. fedoras. Nobody was wearing a fedora <laughs> when they stoned Christ. Yeah, did they no. do that? I don't think that. Never mind. <laughs> they, they, were no, gonna right. stone, they were going <laughs> to stone Mary Magdalene, and, and Jesus stopped them from doing it. All right, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> in, in my, in my head canon, they just ignored him and just kept fucking pelting him. Um, but yeah, no, there there is there is nothing that old. Everyone is a Mormon to some extent, mm-hmm. you know. Yep, you got it's all it all had to be reforged for the modern era because this stuff all refers to things that are extinct, like modes of being and thought and imagination. Like we we all we we desacralize the world and re- turn it into yeah a market where value is apportioned through. Uh, prices and but we still have these ext- these uh these modes of thought and they have to be reforged 
and filled with new bullshit. Wahhabism. That's another yeah, one. Exactly. That, that's, yes, exactly. A few centuries here, China and Japan, actually eternal. Yeah, that's true. Actually, that's why they're going to take it over. Yeah. That's why they're going to eat and leave no crumbs. Ch- uh, Japan, they're already, they're already having a positive birth rate again. That oh, is yeah, true. Abe, like a day after they smur- killed their former you know, prime minister. Yeah. And that's true. He was, and he, that was his big thing. He was, he was also fast fixated on birth rates. And he actually is kind of moving the needle as he dies. Sacrifice, uh, not in vain. Well, yeah, yeah. His life, it was like the guy who, you know, the orgy doesn't start until he leaves the party. well if if the japanese want along though they're gonna have to get rid of their uh their uh western face because that's the wrong horse Eh. it's not do not stop backing the u.s okay apologize for nanking and get with the program i trust whatever their plan is i trust it they've got the sort of They've got the actual sort of temporal justice. Exactly. Like a, yeah. a literal anime sword they keep underneath the Imperial Palace. Like, yeah, do you think that the sort of temporal justice would be even be able to, like, kill an average-sized man? Probably no. not. Uh, the most, uh, the, the rarest item that, uh, you know, uh, uh, crown watchers say will not be in attendance, it will, it will not be uh, a, a part of the investiture, is uh, Prince Andrew's Black Book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that's not going to be there. And you that's know, a, that's it. That's it. That's it. Like dark magic tome. If you give that, if you give that to an Anglican priest, they'll refuse to teach you spells from it. <laughs> well, I bring up Prince Andrew because we got some more. We got some more Epstein news dropped this week about um, who was in his Rolodex. Like after he had served time for soliciting a minor for the purposes of prostitution, uh, he was having meetings with the current head of the CIA and Noam Chomsky. No, those are the big headline pulls from that. And uh, Matt, you were absolutely right. Michael Parenti heads are eating on Twitter this week. Oh, yeah. Guys. Oh, yeah. Just the, uh, the, the, old, the best old man taking a big L on this one. Yeah. Libertarian socialism. Ooh, hit the showers. But uh, I mean, I guess like uh, probably more of note is the current head of the CIA. And like, <laughs> he went to him for like a recommendation or something. Like he was going into the private sector and he wanted like it, advice from epstein on how to do the transition hmm. well you know i mean he's a guy who knows a lot of stuff knows he knows he people. knows people as we know as we've seen not a lot of names in that black book so yeah we have also a woman named Catherine rumler who was a white house counsel under barack obama had dozens of meetings with epstein mm. uh before be- before becoming a top lawyer at goldman sachs mm. and then we're also finding out a lot about like uh jamie diamond's business dealings with uh and Goldman's uh, business dealings with Jeffrey Epstein as well recently. But, you know, that's a, that's a, you know, it's sort of a, a minor detour. I mean, the Noam Chomsky thing is funny though. And like when people were emailing about it, he was just like, <laughs> it was literally like, that's none of your business. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is good. Because <laughs> Stop pocket watching. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, I mean, the guy does really respond to every email, but perhaps. Yeah. Fucking apparently. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, this is all I mean, yeah, this is this is all interesting. I'm as interested in any of this as anyone else, I guess. But like, I don't, it's like, you know, I feel like, what was it like three or four years ago? We found out that uh, Leon Black, the Apollo management guy, this guy is like, I think, tens of billions of dollars, a uh, super rich guy, fixture on Wall Street. Um, he gave Epstein hundreds of millions of dollars for what he called tax preparation, <laughs> which is H and R Yeah, I mean, like, let's choose to believe that for a second. Like, let's let's go with that story. He couldn't find anyone else. That was the only guy. That was the only fucking guy. And then you know, there's whisperings of oh, uh, Glenn Dubin, this other hedge fund guy. Maybe he bought his fucking wife from Epstein. They offered, they offered Epstein a daughter and then it just, it just fucking nothing happens. Sometimes there are settlements like, uh, JP Morgan, uh, had to do some type of settlement, but it just, it, unfortunately it just doesn't seem to ever go anywhere. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no one in any position of power to follow up on any of this stuff. You know, so it just floats out there and you're like, wow, that's uh, pretty weird. And then uh, you hear yeah. about it. Yeah. And then it just it, it transmorphs into like whatever it is now where like for, for half the country, 
like have you <laughs> they now have like um their own epstein flight logs where they say like john legend was there <laughs> <laughs> i said like akon akon was there the Everyone who's in the 2016 DNC fight song music video yeah. is on the Epstein logs. And it's like, I'm sure some of them, but like, <laughs> some of them are just fucking ridiculous. Like, T-Pain is on there. There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of R&B artists on it. Um, Everyone from yeah. Obama's hip-hop barbecue that didn't create any jobs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, not a single job has still ever been created. Not a single job barbecue. created not by that hip-hop job. barbecue. Yeah, if you, read, if you see a supposed Epstein flight log, it has OG Mako on it. That's um, that's not the real one. <laughs> I mean, I guess like just the thing that uh, and people bring it up is just another example of like how many prominent people were, um, you know, seeking his counsel and company like well after the fact that he'd already been to prison for uh, teenage prostitution. I mean, it's just you know something of note, something something to something to keep in mind, I suppose. But yeah, like this is just. This is just another tidbit that's going to, you know, circle the drains of people's minds and just move along because there's nowhere for it to go, really. The guy's dead. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and anything, I mean, there, there's a bunch of things I really desperately want to know about this, uh, as does every, everyone. Like, you know, what was the nature of the renewed prosecution in him? Was it like, uh, did just some do-gooder in the U.S. Attorney's Office go, hey, we should get this guy and then other forces killed him or was the entire thing just an effort to corral him and snuff him out and then sort of memeify all his crimes so they become less real and become another like ephemeral cultural joke. I don't know. I and it's I don't I don't feel like we're going to really know the answers to these things for another like 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years unfortunately. Yeah, I mean the only other thing that makes sense is that it was an intentional like closing of like an account or something like, you know, somebody else had shown up somewhere else on a board that was in some way competing for Ep with Epstein. I don't know. Some sort of internecine thing. We'll never know. Yeah. Probably. I mean, like they do guys like Epstein, which is to say guys who like run sort of a sexual slash sexual blackmail service. Your Craig Spences. Your Craig Spences. Those accounts usually get closed, right? Like th those mm -hmm. guys don't usually retire and then die of old age. Yeah, that's true. But, yeah, at a certain but, point, uh, it's like how it's actually it's very similar to how in the MCU they would get relatively unknown actors to play their big superheroes because they were relatively cheap and the uh, you know the audience was interested in the character, uh, and then. You know, after two or three movies, they get so big, so famous, they're commanding such big salaries that they just kill them off and create a new generation of superheroes. This is essentially what they do with the uh, child uh, trafficking wings. So they who's like they get too big for their britches? So there's like a Miles Morales. To Jeff <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein, like 2099. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, if if there, you know, if there is, there's a great PS5 game coming. Yeah. The only question is, why was there the why was it that started with a public prosecution? And that's where you yeah. got to figure it's like some sort of, yeah, uh, information warfare. The only thing that makes sense. Yeah, yes. because, yeah, I mean, it is the, you know, something we've referenced time and time again, that like censorship or rather control of information isn't so much. It's not done by censorship or restricting the flow. It's done by deluge. Yep. You just you just soak the whole zone, and then before you know it, people are like, "Oh, you know who? You know who else was uh, on the flights? John Ritter. <laughs> He's, he wasn't. He didn't actually yeah. die. Yeah. <laughs> Into the Spider Network verse. All right. Yeah. Um. All right. I, I want to. I want to bring up now. I, I, I have two clips that I'd like to play for you, just as sort of a compare and a contrast, and uh. Let's begin with uh, Donald Trump talking to Steve Bannon about uh, the premiere of the greatest musical of all time, Phantom of the Opera. I look at this beautiful letter I get from Andrew Lloyd Webber, who was big before Phantom, but yes. nothing like Phantom. And he did Jesus Christ Superstar, which was another great one. He did a lot of great things. But he said, because he lived in the building at Trump Tower, he knew me a little bit. And he said, I'd love to have you as my guest. I'm opening up a musical called the Phantom of the Opera. And I said, oh, so let's go. So I say on the letter, okay, I'll go. And anyway, we went. 
and it opens with the chandelier or the, this. You've been there, right? Yes, You've seen yes, it. Yes. Do you well, agree? It's like, first time I saw it, shocks you when the it, chandelier it, drops. No, the whole, but the whole thing. The whole thing magnificent. It was a great, great musical. He said, but I'm opening a musical called Phantom of the Opera. And I'm saying to myself, all right. Now, I get many letters like that. I still get letters like that, except it's a little hard when they make you put masks on and do this thing. I mean, you know, I think Broadway, you still have to. It's brutal. It's brutal. I mean, if you had a, a Broadway theater right now, it just is just happening. Well, plus the city. What's happened to the city? Plus what's happened to the city. Look, it just closed after, what, 40 years. This yeah. letter is oh, from, no. one from the, writing you to opening night. The reason I want to start with that. It just closed last week. Yeah, no, it did. It did. It was very sad. Because of what's happened to the city. I think I know why it closed <laughs> beyond that, but I think it's, you know, you got to have, you got to have a lot of things going right, and they get so uh, politically correct. But it did close, and I would think it's very hard to open on Broadway, have anything on Broadway. But Phantom was one of the greatest <laughs> of all. So I go in and I see this music. I said, this thing is unbelievable. It didn't take long because the music is so good. By the time we had intermission, it was like, I said, this thing is incredible. And by the end, you know, with the whole thing, with the gondolas and the candles and the whole thing coming out and the great music, and we play a lot of that music. I mean, I, I go to places when we want background music that's beautiful, it's great, everybody likes it. But you go there and it's opening night for one of the most successful plays, I, musicals ever, I would say. Maybe the most, but certainly one of the most. <laughs> I love him. I love... I, we were talking about this. Like, Some are saying maybe the best, perhaps. We don't know, but maybe it is. It could be. There is... Uh, and Trump is really at his best. Like He's at his most human when he's sharing... He's sharing his enthusiasm for like one of the three things he actually likes, yeah. which are like uh, just declaring bankruptcy, <laughs> yes, um, that. media, media cattiness and gossip and the classic musicals of like the golden era of Broadway, uh, Phantom, yeah. the Phantom of the Opera. And by the way, I, I love in this clip where Steve Bannon seems to imply that Phantom of the Opera closed down after 40 years because the, because of the city. Yeah. Phantom of the Opera <laughs> opened in the 80s. Like is he is he really saying that crime in New York is worse now than it was in the eighties? No, there are a bunch of hobos uh, on stage. They can't get him off of there because of the city. Well, Sorry. Dude, because of maybe the city. maybe he means it was like a municipal decision. Like David Dinkins was like enough. <laughs> All right, I want to I want to contrast that clip of uh, Donald Trump sharing his enthusiasm for Phantom of the Opera with this next clip of the most Kelvin Gemstone-ass shit I've ever seen in my life from Senator Josh Hallway, speaking at some sort of reclaimed masculinity conference this past weekend. The Lord wants to make you a channel of his strength and power in the world. He wants his strength, his power, his righteousness to flow through you and to change the world. That's what it means to be a mighty man of valor. It doesn't mean you do it in your own strength. It right, doesn't mean it. that you do it that's, that's, in your own righteousness. What the scriptures say, all of our righteousness is as filthy rags before him. <laughs> that's what it means to be a mighty man of valor. A mighty man of valor. And is that like, translated is it, from the original Aramaic? <laughs> <laughs> I just like, I, I think the contrast between these two is so funny because it speaks to like, the essential bind that the GOP is in with regards to Trump. Because what I love is like the perfect contrast in these two clips between Donald Trump, who is, I would say, like we, we discussed this on the show before, Donald Trump's sexual orientation is probably ace, but like is, you know, like uh, on, on the spectrum, I think basically heterosexual, but all of his interests are like incredibly fruity. Yeah. Like, you know, like he's like the straightest man in existence who like, who like, he is the straightest man with the most love for Andrew Lloyd Webber that like has ever existed. And and then contrast that with not just Josh Hallway, but like the entire spate of like a young new GOP contenders. And they all they're all trying to be the exact opposite as hard as possible. You know, like like I mean, Trump has authentic has the authentic interest and personality of like a gay man in his 70s, whereas Josh Hallway like it, it, try as he might, like he just not can he cannot create the persona of like a mighty a mighty man of valor, and like that's that's a that's that's a problem for the GOP because, like it, it seems like most most of the like the the young people in the GOP like they they come across as really fruity when they try to be like uh, the more masculine they try to appear the fruitier they seem. Whereas uh -huh. Trump, the fruitier he sounds, like the more alpha he comes across. It's kind of brilliant. Well, yeah, because he is 
just he owns it. Like, yeah, I I, I like uh, Torch songs and Andrew Lloyd Webber. The, 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 he he's the guy who had the total oblivion. And it, this is and it all just comes from like a a a narcissism that is like pure as a diamond and you know elevates him above the common run of humanity. He went in front of as we said I've said before because I can never get over it when I think about it. He went in front of a bunch of hooting West Virginia coal miners and did a, a tight five about how hairspray doesn't work as much as well as it used to. These guys are all deeply insecure about their masculinity and are trying to uh, compensate for something. And as such, they, yeah, they go out on for more out on a limb of trying to assert this stuff and, and say these uh, phrases. And the more, uh, the more you can hear the tremble in their voice. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we've talked about, like, Ron DeSantis. I don't think really... Ron DeSantis doesn't really have... Uh, he doesn't really have the traditional gay voice, but he does have the an annoying bitch voice. Yes. Like, it's sugar, and, man. Yeah. And uh, to that end, like, I know, I know we've been uh, uh, pretty, pretty hard on uh, Mr. DeSantis, but I, I thought it'd be necessary to maybe give the... The other side of the, the other side of the, like make the case for Ron DeSantis, and I, I just wanted to share this briefly with you. This is from Mark Penn writing in the uh, Wall Street Journal uh, yesterday. Uh, headline: Don't count Ron DeSantis out. So th this is former Clinton advisor, um, uh, what's his name, Mark Penn, uh, making the case for Ron DeSantis. Like let's, let's see, let's see if this is their best shot here. Let's let's, let's take let's take a look at this. Uh, he writes. Uh, the DeSantis ship is clearly listing and must right itself. I wouldn't normally give advice to a Republican candidate, but someone has to stop Donald Trump from regaining the presidency. And I wouldn't count on President Biden to do it, given his low job approval rating and widespread doubts about his fitness. Mr. Trump leads Mr. Biden in the real clear politics polling advantage. A Trump-Biden rematch is a risky proposition. And with the Democrats consolidated around Mr. Biden, the only way to avoid it is with the, through the Republican primary. To get back in the game, Mr. DeSantis has to put cultural issues to the side and run on character, competence, and common sense. He has the strong character of a family man who cares for his wife, a cancer survivor. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I would like to make like, yeah. so I would like a candidate who makes like a, maybe the Newt Gingrich style character of leaving your wife when she has cancer. But I, I mean, mean like, like this no, I mean, like you can see why Mark Penn has been so successful. You really get what he's saying here. <laughs> it's really, it's really smart. Uh, Ron DeSantis has to lead with his amazing personality. Yeah, but I, it's like, like, uh, what, what, what's on his character CV? Like, he took care of his wife when she had cancer. It's like, that's a. I mean, I'm like, that, that's a good thing to do. Don't get me wrong. That's a, that's an act of love, and and certainly speaks to his character. But like, it's it's a low bar to clear. You know, like not leaving your cancer stricken wife is like, uh, if you're putting that on your character resume, uh, I think I think I think it's a little threadbare. Um, he says here. The energetic competence of an accomplished governor and the common sense to campaign on such issues as a balanced budget and a workable immigration system. I mean, That's right. It, it, yeah. is, it is uh, 1996. Yeah, I know, right? This is like the Dole campaign. Yeah, Jesus Christ. What do you guys hear? Uh, clearly, Mr. Trump knows Mr. DeSantis is winning older voters and has decided that hitting the governor on Social Security can erode his base. Mr. DeSantis has to defend himself and prove that Mr. Trump is a big spender who will drive more inflation and increase the national debt and that he fumbled the COVID-19 response by pushing lockdowns. See, like, OK, DeSantis, like the, the only thing that we talked about this, the only area in which Trump could conceivably be vulnerable to a Republican primary voting uh, population is on COVID and the vaccine and lockdowns and like the early days when he was for it. But the thing is, in the early days, Ron DeSantis was for all like masks and lockdowns, too. Yeah. So, I mean, like DeSantis could go hard on the vaccine. But I mean, he was implicated in that, too, because he was like, you know, uh, like, like they all were touting it when it first came out. Yeah, but the idea like under the fucking Trump administration, it was uh, the example of them doing a good job. Yeah, DeSantis was bragging about like you know making it so you could get your vaccine in publics and shit. Like no one's, and there are tons of pictures of him, you know, wearing a mask, looking like Paddington. No one's, <laughs> no, no one's in the clear on this. You know, uh, every everyone, every like every elected Republican outside of like I don't know, like uh, Thomas Massey or someone. You've got at least some pictures of them in masks. You got you got them doing something. It's interesting I mean, like, to imagine what though would have happened if uh, Trump had been president. He he'd uh, won in 2020, 
And then they had to do a vaccination program, you know, with the population that was already at that point turning against them on, among Republicans with how, how they would have squared that. I think most of them probably would have just eventually been like, oh, that's fine. Yeah. But it, I think it could have been a real weird stress fracture point in the GOP. But yeah, Sassantis, I don't think can because he was drawing a contrast with, you know, some of his uh, news cycle victories that he had like a year or so ago. But nobody remembers that. All you're talking about now is a campaign where both sides can show the other one. Yeah. In a mask or talking about lockdowns or vaccines. And so yeah. Nothing else matters. And DeSantis, like no matter what he does, he, he faces the same problem, which is the more people see him, the less they like him. It's an impossible yeah. for him to get out of. He's just, you know, how many I, I don't think endorsements are really that important. But it does tell me something that, you know, he'll go and meet with some fucking legislator or someone and he won't even have gotten out of the building and the guy instantly endorses Trump. There's just there's just something so uniquely fucking off putting and detestable about him. Like, just no one actually likes him. I am more interested in uh, what the fuck is Josh Hawley doing? <laughs> what is what is you know, last week we talked about um you know, who, who is the RFK campaign for? Who's the Marianne campaign for? What is anything Josh Hawley doing? Well, who's that for? Cause we know this is a guy with presidential ambitions, but like what route is that running through? Well, it feels uh, like it's like, just the inter- fully internet poisoned. Yeah. Yeah. yeah be- because like he has a new book out called manhood or reclaiming yeah. manhood or something like that. Might, might be interested to read that for the show. I'm sure it's funny as hell, but like the conference he was speaking at, like it's not just about like it, it is totally internet brain because like the the problem with manhood is not like oh uh, like you know men need to be fathers or like pay more attention to their kids or you know work to support their families. His pitch on reclaiming manhood is just stop jacking off to internet porn. Like that's a big that's a big part of his pitch. Here, which, attention. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I I um I I was lucky enough to see a promo that he did for the you know mighty mighty valorous special men of victory rally the mighty Boston's of victory. <laughs> he said, "Yeah, he said, he said something like, uh, I'm so excited. Uh, this is the biggest men's Christian conference in the world. Um, so I guess I guess masculinity is going to be his issue, which really that presents its own problems, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah." Yeah. I yeah. Mean, and back to I uh, just uh, back to Mark Penn real quick and uh and his pitch for uh, Ron DeSantis. It's like okay, we talked about like the one area on which Trump could conceivably be vulnerable is on COVID about lockdowns and the vaccine, but then again like anyone running against him would be just as uh like less trusted among the people voting for them and like just as just as uh, guilty as he is at least by their by their uh, estimation. But then I want to go back to the other thing he said about like uh DeSantis needs to stop being like a culture warrior and start talking about um, that, that Mr. Trump uh, is um, basically like increase the national debt. It's like, Felix, you're right. Like, oh, yeah. Is they it, love is that. this 1992? Oh, like, my God. Like, that works against oh. Democrats. And only yeah. is like a package of of a greater uh, indictments of the Democrats. The it, everybody knows debt. that that deficits don't matter under Republicans, including more than anyone, Republican voters. Well, the de- I mean, the deficit would be better than the fucking national debt. You might as well just declare the campaign over now. Like, if if that's what he's going with, it's fucking over. Nothing. Nothing. Well, listen to that. The national yeah. fucking debt. Are you Ron Paul in 2007? What the fuck is this? It's not getting like, people in the streets. It's not getting people uh, storming capitals. That's for sure. And, like, you know, he's pot committed at this point. He can't just, like, repurpose himself into being, like, I'm, I'm for sane national government and a balanced checkbook when, like, the only juice that you've been able to squeeze thus far is about, you know, like, a demonized... And hollering uh, about the gender yeah, ideology. Yeah, get yeah, gay and, and trans he, people. He, he can't do that. He can't do any of that. I mean, he's uniquely weak on everything. And, mm. and, and by that, I mean, like, the only... The only the success he's seen, you know, as governor, which is different than running a presidential campaign, obviously, the success he's seen is just, you know, passing all these laws and these signing statements and executive orders that fit with like whatever conservative issue, cultural issue of the week is. But when people actually see him pass the headlines, uh, when national voters see him, 
he just he doesn't come off as a guy who's necessarily fighting for everyone. He just comes off as completely mean and spiteful. And mm-hmm. even to people who have the same like shitty opinions he does, there's just, he's just a completely joyless, humorless person with no positive characteristics. He's very he, nasty. Yeah, it it doesn't seem like he's fighting for something. It just seems like this he enjoys doing this because he enjoys inflicting pain on others. Yeah, and he's not a even, happy warrior. Yeah, even to even to people who like again have the exact same positions, that is still a fucking turnoff. Like Trump isn't necessarily a happy warrior, but there's some there's some like humor there. There's some yeah. fun. Yeah, he can bust balls. He, he he chops it up. Yeah, like as we saw in the Andrew Lloyd Webber clip. Yeah, as we just I mean, saw, th- dude. Like he was so happy. Like that's the only time Trump ever uh, like betrays any feeling of joy or like any human feelings at all is when he's just like when when I saw the chandelier at Phantom took my breath away. Um, but like uh, similar to how I, I think for both Democrats and Republicans, the best way to deal with uh, like COVID on the campaign trail is just to pretend it never happened. It's just like, just don't like, don't make yeah. it an issue at all. And I sort of feel like, like uh, last week we were talking about Nikki Haley trying to like be like the sort of alternative to Ron DeSantis. And I, I think it's sort of similar to wokeness where it's just sort of like, if you're a Republican, you can be like, yeah, we're, we're anti woke, but we're not annoying about it. And I think honestly, like that's the appeal of Biden uh, like, yes. uh, like as as a national democratic figure, is that he's like, yes, yeah, Jack, I am woke, but I don't know what yeah. any of it means. I just am woke. I don't know. I don't know yeah, what it's fine. Are. You like, can be woke without being a trembling, blue-haired uh, social justice maniac. So you don't, because that is the that is how they try to scare people. It's like, do you want to be like these people? And you imagine, oh, I could never tell a joke, and I, I'm always tense. And then you watch Joe Biden just rolling in, completely zooted out of his gourd on some sort of a research chemical. Uh, glad handing everybody a singing Danny boy and it's like hell yeah I'm woke what's the problem can't be too rough on the guy after his re-election as governor he was asked if he had a mandate he said hell no I'm straight I'm straight I'll give you time to think that one through yeah he's approachable I, uh, wokeness I am very glad that uh we are we're in this position where Nikki Haley um I don't see her winning this cycle, um, you know, because it would just it, it would be kind it would kind of be like the Giuliani presidency that people feared. That's what I think it would be like. It would be horrifying. It would be foreign adventure after foreign adventure. But um, I wouldn't say I feel bad for her, but it is like, you know, in more normal conditions, you could see her having a real path here Yeah, because she 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 has she has identified that exact thing that that exact middle ground of wokeness or anti-wokeness versus being annoying and not being annoying um but again it's not 19, 1996 unfortunately for desantis and it is not 2008 or 2012 so she has no path mm-hmm. um i mean i the democratic backbench is horrible there aren't a lot of high <laughs> prospects but holy shit are there no prospects for the republicans either that's true that is true. And like, I mean, really I, I, are at I think, the end of this this party cycle. I hope they just keep running increasingly old candidates against each other. I hope fucking 2032 is Mo Brooks versus Barbara Mikulski. <laughs> and it's the new most important election of our lifetime. I got one. Uh, Biden doesn't run in 2024. Uh, and then we all nominate Dianne Feinstein instead. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's her time. It is her time. Hey, she just got over shingles, so she's ready to go. She they took her cone off. She emerged from the Harkonnen goo. <laughs> they took her cone off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, uh, we got bad news. Like, Diane Diane Feinstein has eaten half a box of Frango chocolate. She shit all over the house. <laughs> <laughs> click here. Click to wish Diane Feinstein to get well soon. Donate three dollars to Act Blue right now. <laughs> <laughs> but don't you think that like with, with with Haley and Biden like the woke mind virus and the COVID virus are like very similar in that like people have like the sides have been chosen but anyone really still like fulminating about either one of them is just exhausting to everyone else and yeah. it's just like it's not going to change much like you're not going to persuade people one way or the other but the people who are like really invested like in either being for or against it or you know like the uh, COVID's going to kill us all or the vaccines are killing us all or just like whatever. It just, the sides have been chosen and most people just like have 
just are exhausted by it. They're just like they don't want it. They don't want people to be annoying about it. Yes, one way or precisely. the other. Yeah, and it's like it's a very it's a uh, difficult situation because everyone's trapped uh, in the backdraft of these social movements and political parties that are characterized in the middle. If like through their media presentation as this strident, obnoxious, annoying avatar of everything wrong with your life in the country. And then you're responding to politics defined by the actions of those people, but you don't want to really have to think about it as much as these weirdos do. So you're left trying to like find some compromise where you're voting to hear it, to represent one side or the other, because there's no other option, but yes, to have it muffled, like to have somebody who's going to stand between you and it rather than someone who's going to amplify it. And a guy like Biden says, I'm going to stand between you and this noise and I'm not going to amplify it. The problem with a guy like DeSantis is he is saying loud and proud, I am going to amplify this. I'm going to be a resonant uh, tower for this fucking shit. And, you know, for certain people inside the the cone, they're like, yes, give me more of this, please. But uh, the people who still make up the majority of voters, uh, college educated, homeowning, not insanely focused on politics to the exclusion of everything else because they have lives. it just it becomes unappealing. I mean, maybe that changes. You know, conditions get worse. Eventually, the amplifier is what people want to hear in, in greater and greater numbers. But for now, people want a muffler. People want a damper. Uh, just uh, what, one more thing here on uh, uh, big time loser Mark Penn and uh, his advice for uh, Ron DeSantis here. He uh, says here, swayable Republican voters are internationalists, not isolationists. Mr. DeSantis's recent characterization of the Ukraine war as a territorial dispute landed badly, prompting him to walk it back quickly. According to the Harris poll, DeSantis supporters back Ukraine more than Trump supporters do. 58% of DeSantis supporters consider the U.S. investment of more than $27 billion in Ukraine justified. Well, okay, that's another reason why he's fucking dead in the water. No, again, oh, 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 we, there's the big, big people of uh, uh, internationalists out there. They don't want to be isolationists anymore. This is this is all running a program from like 20 fucking years ago. No one wants to hear about this Ukraine shit either, let alone spend 27 billion dollars on it. This is the college, no college divide that defines the two political parties against each other now reappearing within the Republican Party. And who wins that fight? We know because of the way that uh, uh, delegate votes are apportioned, rural Non-college educated voters are going to have a disproportionate say in who wins a primary. And those people don't give a fuck about Ukraine and don't want to get into it. And Trump is able to double down on that in a way that DeSantis, who's got his leash, you know, to the to the greater party apparatus can't do. Well, uh, and then I, I guess just overall, what do we make of uh, like, I mean, it, like we, we said, we said the other week, I sort of either of them dying. It's hard to imagine anything other than Trump Biden rematch for 2024. <laughs> but like, it, it, I mean, what, what, what a handicap, just like what that would look like. I mean, do we think Biden has the inside track here or is he as, as vulnerable as people say he is because of how old and, you know, but I mean, like he's got what's his approval rating at now? What is it like? It's like 45, I think. I mean, yeah, 40s. I there has certainly been uh, incumbent presidents in far better positions than Biden, mm-hmm. but it's hard for me to see him losing at this point. Uh, I I don't see Trump or God forbid, uh, you know, DeSantis or Nikki Haley or um, you know, in a designated survivor type incident, Josh Hawley um, winning. You know the. Um, the Great Lakes states, Pennsylvania, uh, Virginia. I just, I don't see it. It's, it's just, it, it doesn't look good for them. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can talk about like the real clear polling average all you want, but I just, I, it's hard for me to see a path for Trump or really any Republican candidate right now. I, I do think that Biden is favored here, but I do, it's not, for me, it's not by that much because one, you've got the economic question just up there and they're like, who knows when that shoe is going to drop and what that's going to look like. So you have to factor that in. And then also you have the fact that yeah, Biden is deeply personally unpopular. And then when the Democrats like ex- exceeded expectations in 2022, you c- they did it in spite of him being such a personally unpopular president rep- representing that party. But if he's, the top of the ticket, then his personal uh, 
unpopularity is going to it's going to resonate more uh and like his saving grace would be that he's would be running either against trump who is somebody people have a similar feeling about uh by the way you guys remember how incredibly uh cogent and non-insane that one debate they had right was imagine what that's going to look like four years later <laughs> right just um, get your head around that or yeah. he gets DeSantis, who's just this avatar of a repulsive culture war that we've seen is not going to play well in the upper midwest i yeah i mean yeah i don't i would not say i would bet my life savings on it and nor do i you know when i say that i think there are very few paths for the republicans i see right now i don't think that means you know biden by five or even four but i just Everything I've seen, I don't know, something, a few things would have to happen. Those few things can happen. I'm just saying right now, it's very hard for me to see. And yeah, yeah, like Biden, all these things are true. Biden is deeply personally unpopular. Uh, The economy, it it could fuck up his chances any, any fucking day now, between now and November next year. You know, he's completely fucking shopworn and only getting worse. But the Republican Party itself just seems like a shittier and shittier operation these days. Obviously, this doesn't always matter. I mean, you know, we, Trump won a bunch of states that he had um, on the face, like bad organization in, in, in 2016. But I just I don't think that same energy is there. Yeah, oh, yeah I think the question yeah. the question of energy, like, though, like to me, like, yeah, Trump is going to have a problem that. He's no longer a, uh, a wild card. Like when he won, quote unquote, it was yeah. because, hey, let's see what he can do. Well, now we know what he can do. Like it's a known <laughs> quantity. And now he's just another yeah. fucking asshole that yeah. we see on TV. All yeah, Matt, like that. That's exactly the point I, I was thinking. Like it's just you can say that like COVID may have given Biden the boost that he otherwise wouldn't have had to win in 2020. That that may have saved him. And like, you know, like that was and that was a pretty close election uh, anyway. But here's the thing. You're right, Matt. Trump is a known quantity now and he's a known loser. Like he's already lost once. So that that is that is greatly uh, diminishes his his mystique and his intangibles. So I'm like, I I think that's the biggest handicap that he has is that he's already lost once and that he had four years as president and he didn't fucking drain the swamp or change anything or shake things up. Really? He was just a guy on TV and then lost. Here's the other thing, too, though. Um, A high turnout, like a low turnout election completely favors Joe Biden here. Yes. And that's what I'm kind of expecting we'll get, a depressed turnout election that no one really gives a shit about. Yeah. That's what it seems like to me. Yeah. And that completely favors Biden. Yeah. Because as we said, yeah, like if if there was a new Trump who could could spark, like hit Trump like sparks and like uh, popular consciousness it'd be a trump-like spectacle a new thing on the horizon and i could see that that yeah uh shift towards uh, non-college educated people of all uh races moving towards uh republicans uh but if it's just trump again at some point everyone gets bored with that all right uh do you want to I, I have a reading series for today's show should we uh close it out with this one yeah, hit it all right. Uh, I have to give a, uh, a shout out and a hat tip to uh, Corpse in Orbit, Michael Judge uh, from the Death, Around the Death is Around the Corner podcast. Here comes for, Michael Judge. For, here come to Judge. Yeah. Here comes Michael Judge. Uh, he shared this one with me. And like, uh, it's a doozy because I, I remember like I think it was our third episode of the show. And I really when the show took off, in my opinion, is when we did the Ross Douthat uh, Sailing with William F. Buckley article. Yes. We're on our way now, Ducky. Well, I mean, it's it's taken years, but like we finally have a follow up to that article, courtesy of William F. Buckley, writing in the Houston Chronicle in 2004. So this is like we're dipping into the archive for this one, but like just to return to like the the, the classic comedy character William F. Buckley, a reptile like conservative man with a penchant for uh, let's just say the finer things in life. Uh, the 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 headline of this editorial is. What Michael Jackson, what the Michael Jackson case does to us, what the Michael Jackson case does to us. And this Hmm. is Buckley is going to share his thoughts on the Michael Jackson case. So he begins. There is an aspect of the Michael Jackson affair that has been insufficiently explored. Namely, what exactly are we mad about? The general charge is that he has corrupted a young boy. 
The prosecutor's specific claims are that he had Angelo, we'll call him, to Neverland, talked him into the same bed used by Michael, perhaps even gave him a whiff of alcohol, and then off into a sexual dreamland. Jackson's lawyer says the fantasy is that of the prosecution, that his client extended to his 12-year-old guest nothing more than the warmth and hospitality he gives out as an expression of his nature. Yes, but did he do it? Off to a strong start. I, I, mm. He refers to the accuser here as Angelo. I don't know why he has decided to use the name Angelo, but he refers to Angelo quite a bit in this piece. Uh, continuing, he writes, The mystery lies in our society's confusion over sexual misconduct and the causes of it. Jump to Angelo just six years older than he is now. At age 18, he would be free of any interference by the state in his private life, as we like to put it. When he is 18 plus one day, he can hire out to Hollywood studios to do live sex. He can now that the Supreme Court has swept away the cobwebs on that issue, court other relationships with men old and young, though not under 18, even if they can't smoke together in a New York restaurant. Are we beginning to see the, the, the contours of uh, Buckley's argument here? I, I'm getting I'm picking it up. It's, it's, it's got sort of a do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law vibe to it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, continuing. If what Michael Jackson allegedly did to Angelo is proved, what exactly do we then fear for Angelo as he grows up under the shadow of the sleep in at Michael's? That his senses will have been deranged? It is entirely believable that a pedophile's activity with children menaces them psychologically. What is far less clear is the suspension of any menace attaching to sexual molestation after age 18. Hmm. Our sex-driven culture is in overdrive, showing no signs of alarm, let alone dismay. Reports on the Michael Jackson case bring up data on the incidence of child molestation. We learn that in the past 30 years, there has been a tenfold increase in such activity. The question that is not being asked is, how is that so? Does this tell us that guardians of the law have been sleepy in the matter of preventing grown men, if that correctly describes Michael Jackson, from debauching boys? We're on our way now, Ducky. We're on our way now. So basically, uh, I mean, it'll, it'll become a little clearer in another bit. He says, so let, let, let us assume what is always safe to assume, that a lot of misconduct always happens, and it is a matter of coincidence whether we uncover it, let alone do anything about it. We learned last week that there are 300,000 prostitutes in Spain. Well, there were 50,000 of them in Rome at the time of St. Augustine. Are we to presume that these prostitutes, male as well as female, set out in their profession because as children they were disoriented, treated like Angelo in Neverland? We appear to be saying in our fulminations against Michael Jackson that he might as well have influenced Angelo toward a life of dissolution where sexual gratification dominates thought and act. But we don't speak with fork. But don't we speak with forked tongues? The American Civil Liberties Union stays up all night worrying lest anyone should get in the way of Angelo's sating himself on radio and on television in movies and in books with the sap of degeneracy. But if Michael Jackson did it with Angelo at age 12, he is damned and we are prepared to lead him into prison. If the lawyer could prove that notwithstanding his young appearance, Angelo had actually turned 18 the week before Neverland, Michael Jackson would be protected by the engines of license in whatever he did. This is, uh, all right, so I think we get his argument here. This would be a barn burner. This would be game over if there were no differences between adults and children. That is the <laughs> one unfortunate thing in the way of this, but... Um, you know, other than that, it's a great argument. Well, he's basically that- saying like uh, something is either that the, the sexual debauchery, uh, the sexual uh, uh, excess is wrong regardless. And that the uh, age distinction that modern society erects is an arbitrary one meant to obscure that fact by saying, no, it's not good for kids, but it is OK for adults. And that is the lie. The reality is it's not good for anybody. And it is the uh, the state's prerogative to enforce that, not an arbitrary distinction to uh, allow for the efflorescence of uh, degeneracy. It's the state's job to enforce that in fucking Saudi Arabia. Sure. <laughs> that could be his argument, Matt, or just as easily as argument could be good. It could be that it's good for everyone and that age is just a number as R. Kelly and Aaliyah once said. Well, no, it's it's it the thing is it's neither good nor bad. It is good or bad depending on who's doing it. As that's true of anything. Like that's the the world view is that like there is no good or evil. There is only the contextual right and wrong which is determined by might, by strength, uh, well, by hierarchy. 
I mean, there's another thread in this article that I, in this editorial that I think is interesting, which is that can you really debauch, in, in Buckley's words, a 12 year old who has listened to rap music and seen boobs in movies? Because he seems to be saying that, like, uh, if, if Michael Jackson did this to a kid who was not aware of our licentious popular culture, then that would be in some way debauching or corrupting or entreating uh, <laughs> uh, them to sup from the sap of degeneracy, as he calls it. But I think he's like he's sort of saying, like, if we can have sex in movies and music, then uh, what Michael Jackson did is we, can, we have no right to complain about what Michael Jackson did. Uh, continuing to write, he says, uh, there is something studiously unattractive about the particular depravity of Michael Jackson. His struggle against aging gives him absolute title to Dorian Gray, the man who tried everything science could come up with to arrest the aging of his face, but it got all bollocked up so that he now looks like a circus clown halfway through makeup. It was in a true sense charming that he thought to distract the world's attention from his problems by jumping on top of an automobile and dancing, his trademark since age six. That didn't stop the fuzz, but the tides were with him, singing their loyalty and devotion, signaling the public's power to relitigate, to, to relegate Angelo to nothing more than one dance step in the ageless pursuit of pleasure. William F. Buckley, folks. He's on his way now, Ducky. We're on our way now. All right. Uh, I guess we'll wrap it up there for today. Um, till next time. Uh, bye-bye, guys. Bye-bye. See